Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. I'm your co-host, Laura McMinn, and thrilled to bring you this very special episode recorded live at the TWLX online conference exclusively for broker owners. Today's panel discussion is all about marketing mastery, and we got rave reviews for this incredible lineup of industry experts. First up, we have Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo is the founder and CEO of Be The Stage. He is a master of human connection and community. Next up is Chuck Hadamer. Chuck is the co-founder and CMO of Poplar Homes. Chuck co-founded Poplar Homes in 2014 and has since grown it to one of the largest tech-enabled property management companies with over 17,000 doors under management. Finally, you'll hear from Lisa Wise. Lisa is the owner and founder of Flock DC. Lisa oversees billions of dollars of homes under management. She is deeply engaged in her community, serving on various boards and foundations, all while advocating for housing justice. This panel has a diverse range of experiences to bring to the table. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. I can just go ahead and introduce myself and then Chuck, if you want to do the same, we'll give folks just a little quick background on who we are and how we found ourselves here today. Um, I've been managing property for about 25 years, which is strange. I don't, I don't look over 25. Right. Um, But I came to the, I came to this world in this industry after um, a childhood of a lot of housing insecurity. And I understood that at some point, if I could own a home, it would solve Quite a few problems for me, and it would create further financial freedom and security for me if I could invest in real estate that others lived in. And I did just that. I started on a little side hustle where I managed uh, properties for other folks while I was working in a nonprofit environment. And then I eventually decided to do my my property management full time in 2008, which was perfectly timed and aligned with the recession. And as it as it turned out, that was a great time to start a business when nobody could sell their condos in Washington, D.C., they all hired me to do it for them. And so I took a bolus of all of these um, sort of sloppy leftovers that people had um, in terms of their individual condos. And we kind of put together a little buffet of great things. And fast forward to today, and I have a family of real estate management companies called Flock DC, and we manage about $2.5 billion in residential real estate in Washington, DC. And I'm also the co-founder of a hybrid prop tech maintenance company called Birdwatch. And we service homeowners with property management. So that is a new endeavor for me. We're about 18 months into that. And I am also, and most proudly, the founder of Birdseed, which is a housing justice foundation that offers first-time no, no strings attached down payment grants to BIPOC homebuyers. Um, it's the first and only program of its kind right now. And so that's a little bit about me. I'm going to pass it to Chuck and then Pablo will pass it back over to you to keep us going. All right. So I'm Chuck Hadamer. I'm a co-founder and chief marketing officer at Poplar Homes. Um, I am uh, newer to the industry than uh, Lisa. I've been in the business for about nine years. We started our company as uh, undergrad students at uh, a college in uh, Northern California. Uh, came out of a personal um, housing experience uh, where 
a property manager tore up a lease that we had signed uh, and said, no, actually, you can't rent this house. And uh, we heard similar stories from a lot of our uh, friends and classmates at the time. And we figured this is something people are talking about. It's important to people. Um, it's the place that they live and, and uh, ultimately uh, end up being their largest investment. Um, and we got started. Um, we started as a online leasing platform uh, in student off-campus housing. Um, and that lasted about a year. And then uh, we realized, well, all your revenue comes in in one month and then goes quiet. And uh, we we found that there was a lot more interest from um, independent investors uh, and small, small property owners um, for a full service experience. So we um, expanded beyond the technology platform into uh, full service property management and launched into the general market in 2015. Um, and uh, today we manage about uh, a little over 14,000 doors across uh, 24 markets in the US, um, coast to coast. Um, and uh, we've got our own sort of uh, owner facing and resident facing platform um, and really excited about uh, everything Second Nature has done to uh, bring awareness to the resident experience. That's like I said, that's kind of where we got our start was the resident experience. Um, and we offer some unique be benefits to uh, residents. We have a pathway to home ownership program um, called street cred. So residents can earn their street cred and, uh, and buy a home in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we've got uh, local teams and boots on the ground in all markets and growing quickly. We're, I'm actually, out here in Bend, Oregon, uh, at a company offsite. So we've got uh, the largest gathering in the last couple of years of our team here. So uh, apologies if there's anyone walking behind me in the background. I told them all to stay over there. But really great to be here, and I'll pass it off to you, Pablo. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Lisa. Um, I'm Pablo Gonzalez. I am not a property manager. I uh, I have a marketing company that has been pioneering this idea of community creation for business development now for uh, four years. And I've just been chasing that for about nine. And the reason why I'm here is because my biggest client and my big case study of hitting a home run out of the ball park, whatever you call it, is called JWB Real Estate Capital. They're a, a vertically integrated turnkey rental property investing company out of Jacksonville, Florida. And as you probably understand, in order to vertically integrate in uh, selling rental properties as an investment, you have to become a really, really good property manager. And they have uh, recently passed uh, 5,100 homes under management, all in Jacksonville, Florida. And what we did in order to launch a community, in order to to kind of grow this business, to grow the rental property business um, from the property management side and from the turnkey sales side is create this show called the Not Your Average Investor Show. That is a what I like to call an internet talk show that has grown to uh, be a top rated real estate podcast. But how we do it is we do these uh, weekly every Tuesday and Thursday calls where we have this really vibrant community that's been showing up more and more. And um, that's become the thing that has propelled the growth in trust in what they do in being able to like really differentiate themselves and their asset class 
and the city of Jacksonville um, as a market to invest in. So I believe that Laura and the Second Nature team invited me on here uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because I have moderated over 500 Zoom calls because I do live shows all the time. Um, and second, because I've gotten this really inside view into uh, their operations, specifically their marketing. I've become their essentially their chief evangelist and messaging and marketing strategist. And as I understand it, this is all about how you grow a successful property management company from a marketing and sales and go-to-market standpoint. So I have a little bit of a imposter syndrome to share the stage here with Lisa and Chuck, who are both really entrepreneurs and um, operators. And while I'm more of like a hype guy, but I think that we can really distill some lessons here of what's worked for them, what's worked for JWB. And, um, you know, happy to be here and, and happy to be part of this panel. So I would love to, I would love to start right off the bat with something that we we talked about in our warm-up call, which is this idea that when I look at Chuck and I look at Lisa, I, I don't see I don't see them talking about, well, we're a we're a property management company that does this or that. Their their offer seems to be extremely differentiated, right? Like this is not um, the average property management kind of strategy or offer. And I would love to, I'll start with you, Chuck. You you kind of you you've built this started off in the student housing in a in a in a market in a problem that you really, really understood and you've really expanded as a software plus a service and these kinds of things. If you're talking to a property management company that is trying to scale, trying to grow, what are your thoughts around uh, the success of what you've been able to accomplish based on being completely different than the average property management conversation? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we, you know, I didn't have um, necessarily a wealth of experience to draw on and sort of playbooks um, to come into the space. And um, my partners, Greg and Rico and I, you know, as students, we had a, a lot of uh, naivete coming into the business. And in many ways, that was um, positive. It also led to obvious challenges. Um, but I think what we, the way we approached it, uh, at first was really just thinking about, okay, what are, like, if you could distill those key pain points of, um, well, for us, it started with the, the resident um, and then ultimately turning focus to the, the investor side. Um, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, and uh, one of the first things that we did um, that to kind of come out into the offering uh, to come into the development of our product and offering is we just sat down kind of with a, a blank slate and thought about, okay, what, what do retail investors, what is the, you know, primary thing they care about and um, getting paid on time uh, was the, the kind of hallmark message that came up in conversations with uh, retail investors. And, um, you know, we, we didn't want to, just come into the space kind of offering, well, we didn't know what was just standard property management. We are like, okay, what is this thing, property management? Um, and we knew, oh, was, you know, you had to, to find someone to live there. You had to maintain the property, but we we're kind of piecing together pieces of the business and the, the getting paid on time was so critical that um, that's when we kind of launched the rent guarantee uh, program. This was before there were entire companies and operations now offering 
um, rent guarantee programs. And that was essentially the idea of, okay, if we, if we qualify and place a tenant, you know, in a property, why don't we put our, you know, our uh, money where our mouth is and essentially back these tenants and guarantee them in the sense that we will pay out our owners on time every month so that they could make their mortgage payments. So that's like an example of sort of thinking, you know, just sitting down with investors, hearing what what their um, pain points were, and then crafting pieces of the product offering to kind of align with that. And it's always been essential to our business since the very beginning um, to build in more transparency um, for investors, because that's sort of what we came from, right? We are like, our first experience was, you know, a property manager ripping up a lease that we had, we had signed together. Um, and part of the issue with that was that it wasn't very transparent what was happening. And uh, students weren't, you know, given uh, a fair opportunity in renting property. It was really a, a secret bidding war that was happening behind the scenes. Um, and we thought, well, you know, why can't that like sure, we could we could uh, appeal to sort of the supply and demand uh, nature of the market, but why can't it be more transparent at least and um, give people more confidence that there was a fair opportunity for them? So um, that was a key component, and the the rent guarantee offering was sort of the first example of what what we went after to um, kind of differentiate the product, um, and then. You know that's that sort of led eventually to the pathway to home ownership program for residents. Um, we really, you know, that was obviously a growing pressure for renters was how how to convert from renting to home ownership. And um, it sounds like uh, Lisa is doing incredible stuff in this space too. So I'd love, love to hear from her on that that point. But I think it's um, the same kind of token where you're thinking, okay, what is the pain point of our customers and our residents? How can you align a product offering to that? Um, and uh, that's also reflecting the technology we've built. Um, you know, giving give, giving owners the ability to have you know full real time access into everything that's happening to their property, automatic updates. Um, and sometimes it goes too far in one direction where we were so behind this idea of transparency and giving back control to the investor that we almost gave too much control to the investor. Um, at first, where they, you know, were involved in every decision, uh, but then we realized that there was some, you know, advantage to actually using data and uh, the the technology to give transparency into what we were doing, but not necessarily involve them in the decisions. And that's been a recent shift in the last few years that's um, really helped grow the business a lot and uh, kind of find the right customer uh, that we want to work with. Yeah, thanks for that, Chuck. You know, what, what I'm hearing there that I really love and it's something I really believe in is this idea of knowing the problem because you are deeply intimate with your super consumer and you under, you see the world from their eyes. And then that is what gives you the insight to move into like a new product offering as opposed to, you know, what what can we create and what whiz bang thing are we really proud of? Lisa, you, you who has created all these different brands and all these service offerings, um, can you give us a little insight into how you have approached differentiation and the effect of your decision making uh, based on, you know, ba- based on a different offer? Um, 
The, that's a great question. I, I believe that differentiation is one of the easiest things to achieve and one of the most effective in business. And there's very little differentiation in our field, which is great because it's low-hanging fruit. You can really eclipse your competition quickly by finding a creative, more engaged, and and more meaningful way of differentiating our company. And for us, there are three things that define what we're doing as a company. They become our North Star, which is to care for residents in their homes, first and foremost. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to take care of people where they take care of themselves and their families. Number two is to care for the community that's hosting us and supporting us as we do our work. We are partnered with that community to do our best work and take care of the larger picture, not just that individual unit, but how people respond to and participate in community. And number three, and perhaps most importantly, is we put our talent first. We don't have an elegant service unless we have people willing to deliver that. We decided to have in-house maintenance quickly. And that was one of the things that was a game changer for us because I believe that good property management comes down to your ability to respond to a maintenance need particularly in an emergency. And if you're calling people to do favors all day long, you're never going to be able to, to offer a smooth experience for your residents, and especially not as you begin to grow. That was a differentiator for us just in terms of, a, of a apples to apples. How are you comparing one management company to another? So that addressed the direct competition and how we wanted to define ourselves. But most importantly, we came out of the gate as a lifestyle company, not as a property management company. We take care of homes, which is part of people's identity. It's their personal brand. It's how they're relating to the environment around them. We went all in on a really beautiful website and professional photos, um, highlighting our staff, being really engaging and human with those clients. We're interested in residents having the best quality experience and a high quality customer service experience. We frame management as a hospitality opportunity versus uh, more of a utility opportunity. I understand and appreciate the recurring revenue, the, the opportunities when there's passive revenue, but we decided to invest in relationships and strong relationships with community and residents, and that resonated. We grew really quickly, and people really like who we are, but we also didn't have any marketing money when we started, but we had our hands so we would partner with other organizations and nonprofits that we were aligned with, and we would paint their buildings or put in a garden or go um, do anything that we could do as a team with our t-shirts on, with our hands, and we would do that. And you know how much brand loyalty you get when you work with your hands on buildings, and then you post it to social and it becomes part of the fabric of who you are. That grew my business much faster than any other traditional marketing investment that I could have made. And it also really brought our team together. We get a lot of choices about how we operate our companies, especially as the founders and owners. And that's a really excited, exciting opportunity to really carve out and design something that you know is both oriented to profit, people, and place. That's an incredible story, Lisa. Like I when I when I hear what you're saying, I think of you have unlocked word of mouth marketing in a modern version of it, right? Like you are you're mixing this idea of sponsoring a nonprofit slash getting really deeply involved and networking with them and marrying it to the scalable impact of social media and how you can get digital word of mouth to kind of like spread beyond that. Am, am I hearing that correctly? Is there is there more strategy to it or like 
how, how do you how do you sleep at night knowing that that's the thing, right? Like, how can you predict growth or or or, or kind of I guess how do you sleep at night when that's when that's the tactic? Is there anything that you can put around that that you are able to then convince yourself that you have this like stable client acquisition method, or or am I getting that wrong? I mean, there's client retention is the most important thing, and the acquisition will come. So word of mouth, building re, building a reputation in a community. I think um, you know popular homes is a little bit different because you don't have the hyper local advantage. If you do, use it. <laughs> We're your neighbor. We say that all the time. Um, There will always be a pipeline and you should be working on omni-channel approach to that. It should be in real life. It should be networking. It should be shaking hands. It should be setting up Zooms with people from affiliated industries. It should be taking your staff to lunch because they all rent too, for the most part. Um, these are all opportunities for us to get up and out in front of people. Same with the, that we get a lot of press because we have a lot of visibility and political conversations and otherwise, um, these are all free opportunities to build your brand and visibility and to engage your staff. I understand tactic, but I'm a big picture thinker. And I think big around how we're going to be present in our community. And we work backwards from there. And if we're impacting people favorably and the planet favorably, the profits will come. I love that. I love that. Um, that that reminds me a lot of kind of like what we, our big picture when we started this thing with JWB was the idea that there is no better way to convince somebody to do business with you than to have somebody who's wondering whether they want to do business with you overhear a conversation with two people that love doing business with you, right? And how we can and how we can create these like collisions between super consumers and prospects. And the team and the things that we do um, is really at the center of the flywheel of our client acquisition strategy on the JWB side. And I feel like there's there's a, there's a lot very similar. Another another thing that I'm hearing very similar in both of y'all, and I think Mark brought this up, is this idea that you both invest really really heavily in culture. Um, and I would love to, you know, you you said it yourself, right? Client retention. Is is a great way to create lifetime value and acquire other clients, right? Like there, all the there's all these words on like B two B SaaS marketer LinkedIn. That's like retention is the new acquisition, right? Like, um, and and people are talking about that. I would love to I would love to understand your decision making process, Chuck. When you are when you are investing in something that is about culture building. How do you justify the ROI of it on the back end when it comes to when it comes to business growth? Do you think about it that way, or do you think about it a different way? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know the investing in in uh, culture for us has been um, there, there's a few di- there's a couple different ways I would I would look at it. One is you know our business we we've always had the ambition to build a national brand and um, but uh, understanding the importance of uh, local knowledge and expertise and teams and always keeping that core um, to how we operate as a company. So um, it's a, it's a, and it's a tricky thing to kind of balance both, right? Because um, for, for um, nearly all time, you know, property management um, has operated in sort of this hyper local space, and there's a lot of benefits to that because you get that that local knowledge and expertise. But there's also this kind of fragmented experience, um, you know, that you might 
if an, if if you put yourself in the customer's shoes, if you're an investor and you want to invest in multiple different geographies, you know you have a different experience in different places. So we've invested a lot in in um, the central, like the uh, so first speaking to kind of the centralized operation. You know, part of our business we do have a centralized operation, and um, like many of you, um, we we do have an offshore component. Um, but we don't refer we we don't refer to that offshore component as virtual assistants or you know it's 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 very much an HQ two for us um, in the Philippines and we've invested a lot into the culture there and actually uh, helping our team um, in the Philippines uh, upskill and um, have career development opportunities you know we're doing a big return to office right now and we've we've got you know on site daycare staff we've I've uh, got shuttles driving around the Philippines, picking up employees, bring them to the office. Uh, we've got food on on site, um, you know, two meals a day for people. We've got leadership workshops and uh, skill development, uh, like university programs. That was a big uh, uh, investment to culture. We always talk about sort of the three pillars um, that matters a lot in that particular culture. And I think for a lot of us, which is family, education, and health. And so we tried to um, really align a lot of our investments um, in the team around those three areas um, and offering, uh, whether it be, you know, monetary things, we, we you know, we offer our own uh, health insurance plan on top of uh, the government uh, provided uh, health insurance plans. So, and as you as you uh, gain tenure in the company, you know you get access to um, added benefits um, around those three pillars: family, education, and healthcare. So, I think that's a really valuable thing to look at and invest in because oftentimes we think about um, these folks that are helping us run our business as you know they're, they're an arm's length away, and, and I think really involving them into actually defining how you operate their your company is critical. You know, a lot of the folks that first started with us uh, seven years ago when we opened up that office are now the ones defining how our product and technology is built. I, I, I would say about 60% of our product managers, um, they got their start doing uh, booking tours for, for residents um, and doing showing and, you know, booking showing. So, and now they're actually architecting how the platform works how what are our workflows for our operating plans and um i think that has been a, a really valuable investment from a, a culture building side you know we've got a, a basketball team in the philippines and a volleyball team Chuck, i gotta i, I gotta uh, interrupt you because i'm sure you can go on forever about like all the cool yeah, stuff sorry. That we do. the panel's called marketing mastery how do you market that stuff like how does that how does that tie into right. like how you market yourself so that so I think that creates an environment where the interactions that our customers and residents have with that that team are much richer, right? People get to know our customers, and residents get to know our team, and they're there for years. Um, and it's a little bit different from a vir- virtual assistant, you know, setup where there might be kind of a revolving door there. So, I think investing in that in the offshore component and maybe i'm speaking a lot to that because that's just what we know the best um and then that also allows the local operators to spend more time on kind of the richer client experiences that 
uh, lead to that word of mouth marketing and the client retention. So I would say that uh, is is sort of the the ROI there that you get from that investment. Love it, love it. And it sounds a lot like um, you know what I'm what I'm really hearing is this idea of like rethinking what marketing can be, what investment in marketing can be, right? Like maybe maybe people here showed up for marketing mastery. They're expecting to hear like, what are the Google AdWords that I need to bid on? But what we're really hearing is very different tactics that are much more sustainable. Like Lisa talking about um, having a great team that interacts in community service with your consumer. Lisa, you mentioned something about PR and I have a feeling that you are probably really savvy about picking things to get involved in that are going to give you extraordinary exposure. Uh, I might be wrong on that one, but I, I I would love to just think of how, I would love to pick your brain of how you think of what are these like low cost, no cost opportunities to gain like a headline, gain some exposure, win a political affiliation, something like that that can really move the business. So I don't choose things for publicity. I choose to make the things I do attractive. Um, to people. And then if there's room or opportunity for publicity, that will come. So again, if you continue to follow your North Star and you're doing something with your business to contribute to what's going on around you, eventually somebody will pay attention and get curious about that. Housing justice is a huge issue. I write a lot of op-eds for my community, blog posts or something you can do. People will pick up on that. I've had Inc. Magazine feature me. I've had Forbes feature me. I've had The Post feature me. Um, and these are all great wins, but it's because we're doing something impactful with our business that other people aren't. And it's really not hard to do. Um, frankly, there's so little being done, honestly, in our industry to give back to community that it's really easy to stand out just by showing up and saying the word community and not community when it comes to profit, but community when it comes to your neighbors. And we don't spend enough time thinking about how to just be good neighbors for the sake of it. And then whatever you think needs to come from that will, it's a, it's a little karmic, it's a little do good business and you'll get more good business, but you stick with people. One of the things that I did when I first got started was to put together these little swag bags that had a stamp of our logo on the front, a little paper bag, and inside was an organic countertop spray we made and a tote bag and a piece of chocolate. And we and I would go to my business card and I would go to open houses for real estate agents. And I would say, hey, I'm not an agent and I'm never going to be an agent. That's also led to a lot of success for me is highlighting that difference because I'm not poaching clients from real estate agents. So if you only do management, brag about it. And I would hand these bags out to folks. And 15 years later, I still have people say, I remember when you came to my open house and you gave me a gift. If you want to understand how you're going to build momentum and visibility for your company, I recommend reading the book Influence. And if it doesn't influence the way that you do your work, then it should, then you should just burn it. <laughs> but it's a great book and it will teach you how to engage with people in ways that are deeply memorable. And oftentimes growth takes one person uh, that who is going to be your ambassador. And you can create lots of those ambassadors over time, especially if you're authentic. Hmm. So much I love there. I don't know if you can tell, but the book influence is right here over my shoulder. <laughs> so, um, okay, so to distill to distill what you just said there, being it's not about newsjacking or trendjacking or jumping on something. It's about finding that thing that you really, really care about, going all in on it, and serving others in that capacity, which then allows you to 
you know, gain this like sustainable momentum over time because you are consistently showing up differently and people know you as that. Um, yeah, I mean, what, you, you get to, you get to tell your own story as a business owner. So what story do you want to tell? What do you want to change? What problem are you solving? If it's not just for money, like whose lives are you changing and why think about what we all come to the table with, which is that access to people in their homes, caring for people in their homes. So, I mean, and we are neighbors. doesn't matter if you're a national brand or not. You can be very hyper-local. We do trash walks all the time. And I've I've had people blog about us doing trash walks. We get the whole staff and we take trash bags and then we walk to a lunch spot, wash our hands really, 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 really well because we're in an urban environment. And then we walk back. And that's a that's a thing that you never see anybody do. So you can, two things can be true at the same time. You can be giving away your time and you can be building your business the exact same time. I love that. I love that. And, you know, one of the things that kind of down that same path, one of the things that JWB did, right? So JWB is, you know, we differentiated them as being like fully vertically integrated because most of these turnkey rental property investing companies might have a partner that's a property manager um, in a, in different locations, but they're not fully integrated into a city, right? And like JWB is a, a major, major player downtown and fully integrated into the community. One of, But one of the things that they've done is they use about five to 10% of the resources in like R&D, in figuring out what the next thing is going to be and, and kind of like being able to corner that. That's why they were able to bring um, built to rent infill lots to market at one point. One of the things that they did in downtown was they developed these container apartments in downtown Jacksonville. And that was fully part of their business strategy. But the amount of press that they got from, from doing these like different kind of real estate project downtown equated into one of these things, kind of like what you're talking about, of a bunch of people writing about them, Jacksonville getting a lot more publicity, all these kinds of different things that led to more leads, more business development, more people wanting to do business with them. Again, not something that they did to get publicity, but something that they did that is in their best interest. It's good for the community. And on top of that, they got publicity. My biggest question with all that stuff is when it happens, when you're doing all the things right and you get the publicity, like, you know, uh, very recently, Mark Schaefer wrote, wrote like a case study on us in a, in a book. And I wonder, like, once that happens, do you also have ways to, like, what is your move when when you get great publicity on something you love and something you care about? How do you push it out? What's the, what's kind of like best practices for that, or in, in your in your eyes? When you're on to the right thing, like, how do you? Yeah, like you, you did something. It's getting a bunch of press. Do you? Is it like a? Do you have like a playbook? Oh, for yes, for me, if yes. I feel it here. <laughs> then I'm then it worked. <laughs> okay. If I see my team happier and people around us happier and the work is going well, then that's that's the measurement. That's the data set. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, do do you have a way to get it in front of more eyes? Like, do you like? Is it an email list? Is it social? I wrote like a book about it. So mm-hmm. I wrote a book called Self Elected: How to Put Justice Over Profit and Soar in Business, and it tells the whole story of how I continue to tell that story. So yes, I mean, I'm here in part because I love the way I do business. I love doing business with a, with a justice lens. And I think that that's ultimately led to me having a more successful business. Love it. Love it. How about you? Yeah, Chuck? I think, and just, yeah. I, I was just going to add on to that. I think like what to kind of touch on what uh, Lisa was uh, talking about earlier, like um, when, if you are involved, getting involved in the community, you know, 
taking the time and investment to capture those stories um, and in the form of high quality photography and videos. Um, you know, if, the, if any, if there's an opportunity with a client where something happened that, that really pleased them, you know, really taking the time and making those investments, it's oftentimes it's not like, um, you know, you, it's not like advertising where like you put a dollar in and you, and you see $2 back or something like that, but it's, um, those stories can be really great evergreen content that then you can, um, spread throughout your network. Uh, and then the other thing is just really being intentional with uh, creating and staying engaged um, with the community leaders around you and, uh, you know, going to have lunch or coffee on a regular basis. Um, if there are people that are uh, covering housing in the local community and um, being open and sharing with them what the trends you're seeing that uh, that you're seeing in your portfolio with them. Um, and then you will become that kind of expert resource um, and a trusted advisor for them. And they're really engaged in telling the story of how um, housing and, and uh, the world around you is operating. I think that's important for property managers to be doing, especially now where in the last few years, there's been sort of this perception shift around um, housing providers and operators, right? And, um, you know, it's... Uh, we see a lot with the institutional investors, right? Um, the the kind of narrative um, working against the ins institutional investors in the media. Um, but when you look at the big picture, right, it's such a small fraction of the market that institutional investors actually manage and operate. So if you can share those stories of the, the uh, landlords and residents in your community that are doing great things to help uh, provide great housing and living experiences, I think that can help shift uh, the perception even on a hyper local level. And um, so I think like Lisa's point earlier about the high quality is something as simple as high quality pho photography and videography goes a long way. Chuck, you're, you are, thank you for transitioning beautifully into this topic that we all agreed we wanted to talk about, right? Like this is such a trust sale, right? Like whether it is, Hey, come live in, you know, I'm going to manage your property or I'm um, uh, trying to attract a resident or anything like that, right? Like you, you as a, as a CMO, you know, minded person, what is your, how do you think about including trust into how you market and um, how you communicate? Yeah. So uh, tr yeah, trust is like the most critical thing um, that we talk about in everything when it comes to marketing. And um, it always goes down to kind of the raw stories of, of what's happening um, behind the scenes in the business and being open with that um, and sharing those stories, um, whether it's something like I spoke about earlier about, you know, the offshore operation, not keeping them behind this kind of crowd, you know, really opening it up. And we've got you can see we've got a whole social media um, channels just focused on that operation. And we we interview our employees there and they get on camera. Um, we put out, we put uh, the faces of all local teams, you know, all over the website to, um, to try to tell their stories and share their experiences in the business. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, that's also baked into the offering and the, the product offering, you know, date, all the data and decisions we are making about our clients' properties are 
exposed to them um, through, for us, it's through the platform, but for, you know, for, it could be through the way you set up your email workflows, um, you know, and, and using that information to build trust with clients, I think gives them that confidence um, to stay with you long-term and, and add more properties uh, along the way. Um, so I, I would say it's, you know, it's sharing the stories of uh, customers, residents, employees, opening up the kimono a little bit on what's happening and uh, trying to expose as much information as possible um, to the clients and residents. I think that that goes a long way with building trust. Thanks for that, man. Lisa, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we are ultimately a human business. And if you want to pick the one thing you can do to differentiate your company from everybody else, it's the human component. Everybody's focused on AI right now. And what do we get to do that's different from AI is like show up in person and help people with things that are hard. That is a competitive advantage, no matter how you see it. So embrace that, um, share it with people, make that a huge part of what you're talking about when you're doing your advertising is that we answer the phone and we show up where a person get to know us, use, highlight your team in social media. It can, I know that when Chuck and I talk, it probably seems like I, that's a lot. It also took me 15 years to figure all that out and I'm still working on it. So little things you can do, like just do one post a week on your social media about a team member and how, and a win they had or a testimonial from somebody. It can be super simple and just continue to remember that, that you can make changes in your business very incrementally. And, and that alone can get you where you'd like to be just over time. So good. So good. All right. As we close out here, let's give like a real tactical piece of advice. Put yourself back in, you are building your company. You have a couple of properties under management. You're going to make your first marketing hire as a, as a person or as an investment, right? That's going to drive this. Um, what would you, if it was today, what role would you hire for? Like what, what would you put in place if you had, if you had a budget of like, you're going to hire somebody for like 55 grand a year or something like that? What would they be doing for you? I've never hired anybody in marketing. Okay. Um, and I don't, and, and well, we'll engage third-party marketers under our direction, but traditional marketing is not the approach that we've taken. And so we've done all of that in-house. Okay. So let's say you have a $50,000 budget to like make a bet on something that could grow the company. What would you advise somebody bets on right now? Honestly, someone who is adept at communication through writing and someone who is adept at pushing out real-time social media content, like engaging in, in all the real-time ways that you can consistently is the number one way you're going to get in front of the most people that, the, as often as you can. And somebody that can do that well, it can be done really poorly. It can be an absolute waste of time. But if you have good, if you have good social content, and it's got personality and brand and it's appealing, it will elevate your reputation and visibility as a company and differentiate you because nobody, you know, everybody falls into the, I'm going to have a house logo or a key logo, all of it. Just do the opposite and you'll be good. Love it. How about you, Chuck? 50K. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. I, I think, uh, well, you know, uh, I, I don't know if this would fit into the, um, if, well, the 50K model, but I would say like, I think storytelling is a key component um, of, you know, a great marketer today is, and that um, manifests itself in the form of great writing, 
um, great content production. But I would also look for someone that also understands how to build that into the DNA of how your company operates. Someone that really understands the value of uh, the customer onboarding for experience, for example, and knows how to leverage um, marketing automation uh, tools and uh, in creative ways to create a very pleasant, personalized experience for the for the customer, um, because that onboarding experience is is so critical to the future retention and ultimately word of mouth. Um, that I think you know that's and and if you understand how to do that, you can apply that to other kind of workflows in the business. So someone that understands how to leverage um, technology to amplify the storytelling that they. Um, know and are able to do. I think um, that's sort of the skill set I would look for. Love it. My my quick take on that is hire the best Filipino video editor you can find, which you can probably get for like 20, 25 grand, spend the rest of it on local photographers to capture content. And you make the decisions on how to distribute based on like a really, really good graphic designer, uh, video editor kind of person. I think that that can go a long way if you have like a strategic mind about it yourself. Chuck, Lisa, this was amazing. We are on time right now to like wrap this thing up. I really, you know, like very flattering to share the stage with both of you. Thank you so much for being part of this. And thank you all for, for being uh, here in this conversation. I hope you got a bunch out of it. Yeah, I do as well. Thank you so much, Pablo, for moderating. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, you can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at triplewin at secondnature.com. And we just want to give more. We're, we're, there's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group, you can find our blog, you can find our newsletter, you can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we want to see a better version of you and your business. To that end, keep it going, feel inspired, take our encouragement, and we'll see you next time.